I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to All Things Policy. Do you remember just a few months ago? There was a lot of talk about how it costs OpenAI millions of dollars to build and train the AI models like ChatGPT, and hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep it running every day. Now, these costs of training and running large language models were prohibitively expensive, and only a few big tech companies could afford it. They could only a few companies could afford to do research on these things, to study it, and to test it out, and build different applications around it. Now, that understanding has been turned upside down. Since the time Meta launched, open sourced their LLM named Llama. Now, what happened, and what are the implications of this move? To talk about this, I have with me my colleague Satya. Let's get started. So, first, let's understand the timeline and what happened, and why did uh, Meta open source the LLMs? So, Satya, can you just uh, uh, talk about how this, you know, happened? Yeah, Bharat. So, to give a very rough. time frame here and a rough sense of developments in mid february meta announced its ai language model so you know it, it was an accessible to the public like open as chat gpt or or bing which used a version of chat gpt or even bard from google it was given out in a case to case basis to for research use so it wasn't a public chatbot but it was licensed under an open source package so that anyone in the ai research community can request access to so the idea was to democratize access but still the the guardrails around ai development large language model data sets and training etc were the reasons why meta did not make it accessible to every single person or or like you know upload it online except in around a week after meta started taking requests for access llama's model was leaked online i think on march 3rd or so so a downloadable torrent was posted on 4chan which is you know as everyone knows is usually where things like this start and the problem was you know the moment something got on the internet it's very difficult to get it to take it down so even the meta started issuing copyright infringement requests and take down requests it's it's still out there and since then meta has been putting out statements to talk about why they think this is going to empower a lot of research use and everything they haven't exactly talked about the dangers of democratizing open source llm so to speak so right like you mentioned this was released under a non commercial license and it got leaked i think someone posted on the github link that meta was maintaining that there was a pull request which posted a link to the torrent as well so now when we talk about meta open sourcing the ai model now they have invested so much money into building it and training it and that's usually thought to be in the order of you know tens of millions or if not you know more than that so now why would someone who's invested this much you know make it open source and give it all out to the public so uh, when you think about what were the motivations to do that so you can look at probably at the time that they did it OpenAI and Google were dominating the LLM development. The ChatGPT was all the rage, and then Google had Bard coming out. And Meta's model was significantly smaller than what was out there. And open sourcing it at that time leads to 
you know, a wide adoption by a lot of different people for whom the costs were a barrier. Now, when you're talking about tens of millions of dollars in training, not everyone, even uh, universities would be able to afford such a, uh, to invest so much and build something like that, right? So open sourcing it makes it very accessible to a lot of people. And when a lot of people start using this, there's a lot of innovation that comes out of this. So you you see that there are different applications that that come out. There's people integrate it into other applications and are able to use it in different ways. To, for example, what you saw with stable diffusion earlier, you had uh, Dolly, which was AI powered text to image generation tool, and there was another open source tool called Stable Diffusion. It advanced very quickly and it was integrated into a lot of other products which made its uh, use cases much more stronger. And it's a very stable kind of a platform now. A lot of companies do this so that they're able to you know, get bigger community involved, get a lot of innovation coming in. But at the same time, what is open sourced is usually the non-differentiating base model, but they usually retain the advanced differentiating features as proprietary features. Now, so you still have something that's exclusive, something that is not accessible to the public that, that they have for themselves. But a base level of uh, a base platform is made open source. So you, you get a lot of people onto that platform, make that the de facto yeah. thing. Right? Um, yeah. So on that yeah. point, Bharat, actually, listeners, the easiest example you can see is is GPS. So US DARPA developed GPS. And uh, when they did make it available to, for civilian use or for integration for other countries, even potentially rivals, they did retain the more capable, like more capable capabilities. So the the location uh, accuracy, etc., stuff like that, for still defense and government use for them, and so civilians could use a non as not as accurate version for their use cases. So that means uh, that innovations that use GPS, etc., could be taken up by the uh, the U.S. government and used while they still retain their advantage. Right, and. You see that even with Android or, you know, other tools, which which a lot of the big tech companies open source it. So they get a lot of people to adopt it. There's a bigger, there are bigger network effects that come into play then that becomes the de facto standard. But then even as you see with Android, Google controls the Play Store and other features that are proprietary to Google. But you have the base version of Android that is open source and a lot, a lot of folks on that have created you know different variants of the operating system so this another benefit of this is that it increases the hireable talent pool for these companies as well so you have a lot of people a lot of researchers hackers working on these things so you get new products and all of that but you also get uh, if you're looking for talent in this space you will have a lot of people who are using it who know how to navigate this uh, the code or the platform and it's easier to find people when you need them right so that's another advantage of why a company would open source that now this is this is what has happened now there are some advantages like uh, meta claims right so there are they say that uh, like you were saying Satya, like uh, it democratizes the access to the uh, you know uh, to the llm itself so what are the other advantages that they that are generally talked about in this space i mean it, it's usually an extension of that argument itself the fact that lowering entry barriers for someone with a single macbook and some abundance of free time for them to be able to find take an, a large language model 
and fine tune it for their particular use case. For instance, think about a research department at an university, which doesn't have the, I mean, like in India, for instance, that doesn't have the funds to access supercomputer time and work on for whatever uh, project they have. They can just pull together their own laptops, um, get a version of Llama and fine tune that with uh, their own data sets or introduce something like reinforced learning from human feedback system for that and uh, very specifically use it for that project. And it would A, allow them to even work on the project and B, cut down their timeline by, by, I don't know, a lot, significant amount of time. Right. So, and I mean, Technically speaking, there's also a winner in the sense that Meta is winning from all this because whatever developments come out into the public domain, because they're under that non-commercial use license, they can still adapt the technology behind it or the improvements created by the users there. So, yeah, so that's pretty much it. I would right. Say. So, like like you mentioned, the there have been improvements, like people have taken the base model and then they have trained it on different data sets. They have introduced new features like um, one is maybe reinforcement through human feedback or even multimodal inputs. And there are other additions which enable this to be run on something like a MacBook or even, even a phone for that matter. So all of these are possible and there, we will see a lot of other interesting use cases come about because because it is open source and it allows all of these to, to be here. Another thing, by the way, so I just forgot. I mean, Jad GPT is trained on 175 billion parameters and Llama, it seems, is 33 billion or something like that. But imagine if all the weights and other parameters by an entire planet's worth of people is also accessible to Meta or in the public domain. I mean, there's a, that the scale of that is also uh, I mean, unimaginable, I would say. That's also another... I mean, win for Meta, I guess, but also generally for the public domain. Right. So these are all the advantages that you can think about. But there's also a lot of concern. A lot of people are pointing out that uh, when it is open source, it is accessible, yes, but uh, it is accessible to everyone, irrespective of what their intentions might be. And we'll take a short break and we'll come back and look at what some of those concerns are and how whether there's any weight to those concerns and how those could be addressed. So welcome back. Uh, so we we were talking about how there are a lot of advantages that come with open sourcing the LLMs. And now we look at some of the pitfalls that are being talked about as well. So there's a lot of talk about why this is dangerous and it's going to unleash a lot of, it's going to give a lot of, amplify a lot of misinformation and uh, online harms and, and things like that. So what you see generally is that a lot of these, uh, the ethics debates, uh, focus on uh, super intelligent AI going rogue and and not being under the con- uh, control of humans. But what is more likely in the near term is that when something like like this is open sourced, malicious actors might get access to this AI and they might be able to scale up their misinformation campaigns or or uh, you know hate speech, deep fakes, and all sorts of things. Right. So how credible is this kind of uh, argument? Are we really going to see something like that happen? Um, Satya, any, anything you'd like to say on, on this? Yeah, so, I mean, the ethical and social implications of the usage of open source LLMs 
I mean, it's the same as something like someone entering a prompt on chat GPT and creating a very nuanced and believable sounding phishing email that they can send across to, you know, fish people. I would say, I mean, these are continuing problems. It's always going to be in a debate. More than that, I think the primary issue is the reason why the debate on ethics is happening is because, A, like things like training data sets are meant to be unbiased, are meant to uh, be compliant with privacy and consent concerns of from the data sources. Now, the reason why these are these guardrails are there because these large language models need to ensure that this training data set is of high quality, right? They have to be representative of the population that is it is serving generally as a societal concern, right? So this is not going to be possible when you have open source LLM models which can be stored locally and trained locally on a on a laptop. Now, there's also like so. And anytime model is, I mean, updated or iterated, there's all, always also a clear documentation. People on GitHub and software engineers will know this documentation. There's evaluation and feedback mechanisms for these models. Like they can document why. Okay, maybe this is generating misleading outputs, etc. So be careful about it. That's also not going to happen if a LLM model is out there. And uh, let's say someone is uploading it as a zip file on Telegram, saying, "Hey, this is a great model. You should, you should use it." And I don't know, college students are going to use it a lot for whatever reason, and they're going to like basically propagate, like I said, misinformation or misleading outputs or, or even things that are going to maybe shape their worldview, right? So, uh, I mean, cyber attacks are also very, very self-explanatory. Any AI can brute force cyber attacks, I mean, pretty easily. I'm not familiar with the technical aspects of it, so I'm not going to speak much on it. Finally, I think if, I mean, no one can buy a GPU for cheap these days. I mean, NVIDIA GPUs cost a lot. So if, for instance, local stakeholders, like a university or something, want to train data sets, etc., they can outsource this, this task to maybe a particular provider who has, uh, let's say, 100 GPUs or something, and then they'll just run these GPUs nonstop. So what I'm saying is, if it becomes the next crypto kind of thing, where we saw for, I think, three or four years, the GPUs are flying off the shelves, and these guys were using it all the time where power draw and environmental emissions were, were rising, were significant enough to make a make it a concern. I mean, I, I can see this something like this happening, right? You know? So yeah, this is this is again a very rough idea. There are I probably more pitfalls that I'm not sure about. Right. So when you're talking about the misinformation getting amplified and all of that. So there there are ways that people point out that this could be addressed. So this there are so these modules that are open sourced are still not the ones that are cutting edge or the best that is out there. There are better and more powerful models. So if um, there is misinformation or disinformation on, um, say, the communication platforms that we use, there there could be better AI models that could detect it and moderate such harms. So th- that is one kind of a way to address this uh, this kind of a concern. And there's... Yeah, yeah. I guess... Yeah. No, like, like I said, it's going to be a never-ending debate because it's it's not a problem of AI or large language model itself. It's a problem of scalable technology that augments human capabilities, right? So, I mean, if humans lie, anything that can enable them to lie is going to be a problem at scale. Like, so internet, 
for instance so emails like i mean we can't stop developing them because of this right and another aspect of this is that seth lazar who's a leading ai researcher he points out that the limiting factor in spreading disinformation is not the cost of producing the content but you know but actually convincing people and you know going forward with that right so the number of people who will actually believe it and that is more more of a limiting factor so the existing solutions for limiting disinformation uh, should work for ai content as well is what he opines so it sh- i mean i, yeah. I suppose uh, go ahead, so sorry. it should not be so much of a problem so so that's one point of view on this that while it, it gives the ability to scale disinformation it it is still possible to limit it using the tools which are already out there or uh, using already things the effects of it will not be so bad is one is one point which which is the jury is still out there because this is still a new uh, thing and we have not seen the effects of it playing out for a long time so we'll need to uh, wait and watch what happens but these are the two different points of view on on what could be the possible outcomes of uh, open source model and how they allow people to you know malicious actors to spread disinformation so yeah you were saying satya all i can think about in in the near term is a hey, two things like if, if you're going to open source a model make sure that it's i mean they probably connected to the internet to be able to be operational so that it has a i don't know a built in verification mechanism that checks the reliability of of, of the sources in the data set or consistency of the i don't know the data that's content therein i don't know how it might work but that may be a, a technical guardrail that anyone who's any corporation is trying to open source their llm can include it the other thing is i mean uh, the state needs to have civic engagement or ai literacy programs to be able to raise awareness and resilience of the public against this misinformation because i mean i don't know we already have seen whatsapp like forwards creating a lot of issues because just the scale of it means that instead of reaching 100 people it's going to reach a 100000 people and even if like just a, like 5% of them believe in it and act on it like create a lynch mob or something that is still a sizable number of people so i don't know what form this kind of civic engagement should or might take but yeah so that's So like like you said it's, it's just existing tools that we can use nothing else right yeah, given that uh, you have some idea about uh, ip laws and all of that so does this open sourcing of these models does it have any implications on on any litigation or something that could come about as a result of this uh, what are your thoughts there so we have already seen how stable diffusion and i mean dali to have been employed in intellectual property copyright infringement for instance disputes in the us where the training data sets includes artwork music other literary works etc from creative um, from creators who haven't been compensated for it right so that is the the most basic way in which ip litigation can probably happen because if anyone is training large language models even on a non commercial license but it's difficult to attribute right so even if you use a training data sets from say a, a, like a repository of art by an artist uh, and but you may not know because you have gotten that data set on like i said github or a telegram group uh, and you just thought it was neat and you didn't know who the author was or whatever and you didn't care because you're tuning your large language model the prospect of that is exciting but if you don't have attribution 
for instance, that is going to be a problem if you don't, if that person hasn't consented to that material being used for a training data set, that is going to be a problem. Right. So the ownership and licensing of the training data is is the first order issue that I I can talk, think about. Right. So Reddit and Wikipedia are like different terms of user licenses. That is primarily what Llama was trained on, if I believe. Then the, the second part is the ownership and licensing of the outputs from these models. So because they're derived or influenced by the training data, the question about the ownership and licensing of the outputs and whether they infringe the intellectual property rights of the data sources or even the model developers, let's say, is or or if if for instance these models can generate outputs that are similar or identical to existing works, right? So like someone might say, hey, you know, this is this is uh, passing off and not passing off. So that's a very, that's a trademark thing. So the, the potential for this kind of issues to be brought to judicial fora is pretty high. And this is also what we're seeing with stable diffusion Dolly 2, which is the output, the ownership and licensing of the outputs. Then finally, liability and accountability of the developers of the, of the large language model and the users, right? So if misinformation, defamation or cyber attacks happen because like leveraged by using a particular open source LLM to third parties, then questions about this liability is going to come up. Are they responsible for the consequences of their actions or neglecting to like maybe have some sort of duty towards the public in general for not letting the LLM be used for malicious purposes? We don't know that yet. We don't know where the buck stops. We don't know the civil and criminal liability in case in any of these cases. So, I can imagine this is going to crop up in the near future. Right. So there's a lot of debate about AI regulation, you know, across across the world, right? So we will see a lot of these debates playing out, and you'll see a lot of. It, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. So, so we've seen a lot of different implications of this open sourcing of this model. So, to conclude, for India, is is there any specific advantage of uh, of this being available uh, one of the things that you can think of is that these costs were prohibitively expensive that there was a very big barrier for for someone to implement these foundational models or to do research about them or you know to understand how they work and and so on right so now that barrier has been kind of removed and people have access to these things right so so that uh, that knowledge and that those frameworks are now available, which could lead to a lot of things being built using these models. So, so that that is one advantage that I would think would would come. And this is not just for India, but globally. But for people where these barriers were were significant, this will be a very big advantage. Other than that, do you think that there's anything else that might you know for us any advantage that you see playing out? I do believe some of our disadvantages. Especially in India, or like I say, believe any other country which doesn't necessarily have a robust data protection privacy laws, right? EU has a GDPR, etc. So if open source LLMs, and we know for a fact that India's state-based or I don't know, uh, I mean, companies do not have great track record of protecting personal data, like Aadhaar and and even like recently COVID stuff from individuals or organizations. If open source LLMs can at scale collect process or store all of this and not comply. I mean, like an individual in a small cafe can access all of this. They don't need to comply. I mean, there's no way to make them comply with data protection and privacy laws, right? If they can use this data for users' online activities, 
browsing history, search queries, etc. I think, I mean, it's it's pretty evident that in India, it's going to cause a lot of issues. Then what else? I mean, yeah, so the obvious advantages that are like creation of app, like uh, making use of, of the coding abilities of an LLM that is fine-tuned for that to create applications for uh, very specific needs and preferences of uh, let's say linguistic and cultural groups, right? like translation, education, even entertainment. Let's say you know. Then, but then again, this all assumes that the availability and quality of data is is there. I mean, compute resources are fairly affordable, I suppose. And again, we don't know how it's going to fit into the ethical and social values of Indian society, which is very diverse and not necessarily always progressive in the sense that it doesn't fit into the values of a liberal democracy. Let's say. Then, I mean, the right. To information is also part of a, I mean, it's been judicially held as, as part of, like as a necessity for a dynamic democracy, right? But if this right to information or the right to be influenced also, I mean, is, is influenced by output from open source LLMs at scale, it's, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to democratic values. If, if, if dilution of cultural expression or promoting, I mean, undermining the critical thinking abilities a misleading public opinion is going to happen. Is it going to foster or hinder social cohesion? Is it going to make sure that some communities or voices of people are, are either empowered or magnified or marginalized? We don't know. But in India, because of all this different microcosms of, of people exist, this is difficult to predict what's going to happen. Right. So especially because of this move, I think the, the pace at which all of these changes happen will be much faster. And like you said, there are advantages of AI. So it enables a lot of people to do a lot of things, but there are also a lot of harms that come with it. And it could, so this is a lot of change and that needs to be understood better, especially in an Indian context. So there is a need to have these conversations to have a lot of, to have a deeper understanding of how this impacts us. And yeah, so we, you know, we need to pay close attention to what's going on and get a better understanding so that we can be able to better anticipate what's going on and maybe have a more responsible path for adoption if that's, uh, you know, if that can mitigate some of the harms. So with that, I think we can wrap it up and uh, thank you so much for listening and thanks, Satya, for joining us. We'll see you again tomorrow with a new episode. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle, at Takshashila INST or our website takshashila.org.in.